but we're all going to take their money and promote them together. And I won't do it unless you do it. And if you do it, I'll do it. And we're all in. All the, all the big name financial advisor YouTubers know each other. Um, do, all, do all of the ex-con ex YouTubers know each other? Like, a lot you, of them. At what point in this interview do I tell you what's going to happen with this lawsuit? Because I actually already know. But it is a 73-page lawsuit, which, wow. which I have read, okay? I don't come unprepared today. These are, these are legitimate law firms. They, they make money, and they make a lot of money for themselves and their clients filing class action lawsuits. Look, if I'm wrong, I'm going to say I'm wrong. And you know their, their attorneys are saying, don't say anything. Yes. Because, you know, you may be wrong. Like, I'm sure, like, to me, the right response is just to go out and just say, look, here's, I messed up. I made a mistake. But then, of course, you, like, open yourself up to a massive amount of liability. Or do you? We should ask a lawyer. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with America's Attorney, and we are going to be talking about the Graham Stephan and uh, I think it's Meet Kevin and the all the isn't it Meet Kevin? Oh, he's on there. Okay, all the uh, the YouTube influencers that are being sued over FTX or the promotion of FTX, and I am, and uh, yeah, I, I anyway, check it out, check out the video, and uh, I think. That's about as good as they're going to get. It's early. Hour. Uh, yeah, it's, it's early. As soon as it happened, right, as soon as the lawsuit came out, everybody, I immediately got like five people telling me, you've got to do a video on this. And I'm like, listen, I did a video on this. And in that video, I said, I think these guys are going to get, you know, one, I said they, they might get indicted. And then I said, but I, I think they'll probably definitely be sued over this. And, um, that was, you know, so then, of course, when it happened, I was like, well, I'm not shocked. And I kind of already mentioned it, but everybody was saying, you've got to do a video about this. You've got to do a video about this. But I kind of just assumed they would get sued. You know, whether it goes anywhere or not, I don't know. But well, what, what are your thoughts? Isn't the reason that I'm here to tell you at least my opinion about where it's going to go? Absolutely. My opinion doesn't mean anything. I, so I'm, I'm curious to know at what point in this interview do I tell you what's going to happen with this lawsuit? Cause I actually already know. Really? I, I kind of want to hold out a little bit. I mean, let's talk about it. What, what's going on? Okay. So first of all, do you know that the named plaintiffs in this case are the same as an almost identical lawsuit against Tom Brady? No. Okay, so Tom Brady did some ads for FTX. Yes. Um, the lawyers who are, um, they're, your, uh, they're your compatriots. They're from Florida. Um, the lawyers uh, are the same lawyers in the Brady case. And it really is almost an identical lawsuit. What's the, well, I mean, I can, I can, I can see that. What's the lawsuit or what are the, what's the name of the law firm? Uh, so it's three or four law firms, but you've got um, Mark Migdal Hayden. Uh, out of Miami, Boys Schiller Flexner out of Miami, Grossman Roth Yaffa Cohen out of Coral Gables, and the Moskowitz law firm out of Coral Gables. Now, I don't know these people. And when I Googled Moskowitz, there's a very famous photographer with the last name. She has beautiful photos, and but actually, that's what shows up if you just Google Moskowitz. So, right, but no law degree. Law firm in there. No law degree, just beautiful no, photos. Just great photos. Uh, so different person, one imagines. Um, so this lawsuit has four counts. They, um, they've they sued them under a Florida Securities and Investor Protection Act um, statute, which is kind of the main thrust of the case. And then kind of a catch-all is the Florida Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act statute, which is similar to a law that exists in every state. And then uh, civil conspiracy, which sounds like a crime with the word conspiracy in it, but it's not. It just means people acting together to do something that's illegal and not criminally illegal, but civilly illegal, such as, you know, Hawk um, FTX uh, investments that are losers. And then the fourth count is for declaratory judgment, which isn't really asking for money. It's asking for the court to declare that some of the things that the people who have been sued uh, what they did was wrong. So four counts, 
not not that complicated, but it is a 73-page lawsuit, which wow. which I have read. Okay. I don't come unprepared today. Wow. Yeah. Um so what is the bulk of it is just probably different showing different statements that these guys have made about FTX. See, um, if you did that, you would be a good lawyer. Uh, that's not what this lawsuit has. Really? Yeah. You would think that they would have um, gone into the time machine and because the videos, a lot of them have been taken down, right? Oh, a lot of these people right. have repudiated what they said for money. Uh, so good on them for doing that. But no, it's it's surprisingly bereft of actual factual content about the 10, uh, I shouldn't say 10 people, nine people and one creative agency, the Creators Agency LLC. So nine, nine um, influencers and one company that, that probably works with them, I guess. Um, do you know what that agency does? Do they like get, or do they? I think they're a matchmaker, pro product okay. and, and spokesperson. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I don't know if you watched the CoffeeZilla video on this very topic, yes, but I, did. I think if this uh, lawsuit was against you because you had recommended this, he doesn't make his video. I think he makes his video because these are not just um, regular YouTubers, whatever that category might be. Uh, you know, these guys give financial advice and FTX was uh, you know, a place where you could get financial instruments. Right. It's not like like the, I mean, they're actually people go to Graham Stephan because he gives because he's saying, hey, I'm giving financial education, you know, even though probably when you put up he puts up his YouTube, he probably clicks entertainment. But he promotes himself as someone who is financially savvy and his advice is sound like, uh, you know, I. You know, he, it's what well, even I, I hate this too. I hate it when people come out and say, look, I'm not an attorney or I'm not a financial advisor, but like people that's, uh, it's like, like that completely, you know, that completely um, allows them to go forward and give financial advice. It's like saying, I'm, you know, you know, don't be offended, but you know, I think you're an asshole. Like, yeah. Whole, yeah. I don't mean anything by this, but I hate your gut. Right. Yeah, don't take this personally. Well, but you know, well, but I I do take that part. Like that doesn't that doesn't absolve you of having insulted me just now. And I so I feel like it doesn't absolve you by you saying, look, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, but if I was you, you should do this. Well, now that's an interesting thing that you're saying because oftentimes when I give my clients advice, because I have thousands of clients a year. One of the things when they when they really can't figure out what they should do, like should they settle a case, should they hold out for more, should they drop a case, whatever the situation is, uh, sometimes they are more interested in hearing what I would tell them if they were my nephew or my niece or my neighbor, as right. opposed to me as like actually one of the most experienced employment attorneys in the history of the world. Well, what is my advice for them? They want to know, like, do I care about them as a person? Right. Well, it's great that I do, but what if I'm a moron? The fact that I care about them is, like, totally meaningless. Unless you just want to feel good. Oh, my lawyer actually likes me. Oh, this, I, I believe, like, who cares? Like, follow the advice. Like, what if your doctor is rude, but they're like, hey, we got to cut this cancer out, you jerk. Yeah. I, I don't Cut out the cancer, maybe? I don't want to die. <laughs> um, I was just thinking of you said, telling somebody, listen, I'm not a lawyer. But, <laughs> yeah. but I thought you were my lawyer. Oh, if, I am your lawyer. If, if I was you, <laughs> I, I would drop this. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay. So here's, here's, did you see Meet Kevin's response? Like, I'm not responsible, but... Embedded in Coffee's video? Yes. Yes. Now I I the in fair in full disclosure, <clears throat> when I when I saw Coffee's video, I was like, oh, Graham Stefan. I sat next to him on a couch in a hotel lobby last year for about 20 minutes, didn't talk to him. He was with his girlfriend or wife or whoever, and I was talking to another lawyer. Um he's the only one of these I've ever heard of. 
but I've never, I've only watched like one half of one of his videos. Uh, no, so I'm not a guy who's gonna go on YouTube to get financial advice. I'm not, I'm not yeah. that guy. You know right. why? Because I went to college for four years and law school for three years and I believe in education. Yeah. So um, I don't know what these people know or don't know. But anyways, yes, sorry, to answer your question, I saw his interview with Kevin. I'm not at fault, but I'm gonna give my money back. Yeah, and here I, I love that too. Like I'm gonna give it to a, a, a charity. I'm gonna wait and I'm going to, it's kind of the, the, the Logan Paul, you know, spin, mm. right? Like, oh. I mean, it just, I mean, I get like, to me, I, I'm just not gonna say anything because it, look, if I'm wrong, I'm gonna say I'm wrong. And you know, their, their attorneys are saying, don't say anything. Yes. Because, you know, you may be wrong. Like, I'm sure, like, to me, the right response is just to go out and just say, look, here's, I messed up. I made a mistake. But then, of course, you, like, open yourself up to a massive amount of liability. Or do you? We should ask a lawyer. Do you? <laughs> you apologize? You say, look, I messed up. I should have really made it more clear. Yeah, I definitely think, feel like that opens you up. Yeah, so I so I watched Coffee's video, and I'm uh, this is my first exposure to Kevin. He seems so likable. He is like he's talking, and I'm like, wow, I like this guy. I like his personality. I like the way that he talks. And then at the end of it, I'm like, okay, he said it's not his fault, but he's gonna put his money into a fund, but he's not gonna do that until after all the dust settles. Yeah, until the lawsuit settles, because <laughs> I may need this money. Yeah, um, I, may, I may be paying this to my lawyer. Uh. Graham Stephan. So, you know, the funny thing about the reason I started watching Graham Stephan is a lot of people were telling me initially, you should do something like Graham Stephan. Like I should do a channel like Graham Stephan. I was like, okay, well, you brag about how rich you are. No, he, he's no, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't think of his channel as like that. What, when I first started watching him, he had just kind of, well, he had been doing the channel for maybe a year or two. And this was, I was in the halfway house and it was, he was a, a real estate, real estate attorney he was a he was a um real estate, real estate agent. agent yeah right he was a real estate agent and he he was just giving kind of advice and he and a big thing with him was like saving money yeah like how to save money how to where to put your money so that it grows and and he had you know long-term strategies there were no get rich he didn't give any get rich quick strategies um and, and anyway so so i liked his video then he was it was very they weren't well. They they were they were decent quality, but he was just a more down to earth person. Of course, things have subtly changed a little bit because obviously he's made a ton of money. But because he started making a ton of money on on YouTube, people now take his advice on real estate super serious. And there were things that I heard him say that I was like, kind of disagree with that. You know, there's actually a bit like that would work if you were maybe in California. That certainly wouldn't work in Florida. You know, most places aren't New York and California. There's better strategies. So I, I, there were lots of things, but people, they believe everything he says because he's made a ton of money on YouTube. Like you made a ton of money on YouTube. That doesn't mean you're super successful. You were a, real, a, a minor real estate agent that had listed and sold a few properties. You did make some good, good uh, decisions, but that's like buying real estate in the 1970s. And then by the 90s, you're making a ton. Well, that was one of the, the largest um, times of appreciation. You'd have to be an idiot to buy a property, hold on to it for 10 years and not make money. Uh, anyway, but super, he's also very likable. Um, my, only, you know, my only problem with him, once again, is that it does feel like they're, they're holding, out, holding themselves out as financial experts and trying to say, you know, I'm not responsible for anything I'm telling you right now. And it's not like they're just saying, hey, by the way, this video is sponsored by FTX and it's a crypto company and then giving basically saying, here's the thing about FTX and going through it. They actually seem like they're pushing it. Yeah. And I think that's why coffee had that kind of visceral reaction, which is that something has to change. He wishes that they were liable because they claim to be financial experts. That, that's kind of the vibe I got from it. Not that he thinks that they are. I mean, you don't have Legal Legal on your channel who, who tells you this lawsuit is deeply flawed in some material ways. And then you say, well, I still think that the plaintiffs are gonna win, right? 
Um, although I honestly think Legal Eagle didn't go half as far as he should have about how incredibly stupid this lawsuit is, which I can't wait to get into whenever you want me to. Okay. Well, let me let me mention two things. One, yeah. I have been approached by several different uh, crypt, new cryptocurrencies. So on multiple occasions and multiple times I've gone to Colby, my, you know, the guy that runs my YouTube channel yeah. and we've looked at it. We even had a meeting with some of the guys and it was a startup and Colby was like, look, here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. And these guys are trying to convince us to partner with them and do like help with an ad campaign. And in the end, Colby was like, look, it's your channel. Like you can do what you want to do. He's like, I can't tell you exactly what's happening. It's a startup. A lot of companies do very well and then they crash. And so I told Colby, I was like, I'm not a financial expert. And my, my real problem is, is that I look at a lot of things when people ask me to do things and talk to them where do I want to be standing in front of my federal judge explaining that these people gave me money so that I could convince people to buy their product that I never once looked into. And that, that you I didn't had, buy yourself. Right, that I, I didn't buy myself. First of all, I'm not even allowed to own crypto. Oh. I'm not allowed to own stocks. My wife says the same thing about me regarding crypto. So I'm, I'm in. So, so to me, it's like, what is my federal judge who's going to be the most skeptical person on earth about me, given my history? And I said, I can't be in front of this man trying to explain why I promoted this product that I don't know anything about, that I wasn't able to vet the company, that ultimately maybe they went under and people lost money. In no way can I do I want to be in a position where I told people to invest in something where they lost money. Okay, but there's an amount of money that that startup could have offered you that you that those questions would have been more easy for you to resolve in favor of doing a sponsorship. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's, of course, there's an amount of money that anybody will risk. That's, that's right. Okay. Now your risks are higher than um, Brian Young's who sued in this, in this lawsuit, right? Because he sure. doesn't have to answer to a judge. Well, maybe he does, but um, <laughs> we'll see. But you, you, you know that you're not a financial expert. Hey, you guess what? These guys, they also know they're not financial experts. They actually right. do. They don't have the certifications, unless there are a couple of them that do. But like the the what I've seen, they they don't. Moreover, the lawsuit doesn't allege that they do. The lawsuit doesn't allege these people are financial experts, and that makes them reliable. Oh my word! The lawsuit just says they're famous YouTubers. So it's just a poorly written. No. They did the best they could with the facts that they have. This lawsuit and, and the Tom Brady lawsuit and so many lawsuits like this are about one thing, which is the degradation of traditional authority structures in society. So like 100 years ago, you had like the church, the government, your employer, the, fa the family, and people live in those contexts. Well, there's too many scandals with all of those things too many families are broken. There aren't traditional authority structures. People don't trust the government. People don't trust the church. People change employers all the time. People change families all the time. There isn't a way for people to like confidently believe that they are in the spot in their life where they should be, where they wanna be, and they have people to rely on. So they go on YouTube and they listen to people they've never even met. They listen to people whose, um, whose qualifications are either unknown, unmade, unasserted, and not verifiable. But you know what? They're so nice to listen to. I was going to say, but people like them. Yes. They trust them. Yes. So <clears throat> there's, there's no longer a belief in institutional authority, but instead there's people with great personalities and there's hot right. people who come on your TV and tell you what to do. Right. And yeah. there's people that are funny and you're like, Oh, that they're so like, honestly, if Jim Gaffigan told me what car to buy, I'd probably buy it. That dude is hilarious. Well, listen, people ask me advice all the time and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like, 
My first set of advice is don't ask some guy who went to federal prison for bank fraud and got out about how to invest money. I have people that ask me about, about different companies and they, about advice for stocks. And I'm like, look, I don't know anything about the stock market. But if, yeah, you, but did, if, if you did, you'd only know what's good for you. Well, I, right? Probably. You actually can't make financial advice for another person without knowing what's their risk tolerance. What's yeah. their what's their age? What other investments do they have? What lifetime earnings do they anticipate? Do they have family members that they're trying to care for who are disabled? What right. are their retirement goals? Like it's so it's so intensely personal. It's seriously like going on YouTube to get legal advice. Can't yeah, be there, done. There's a whole there's a whole process that you need to to know. And listen, you know what's so funny? People will ask me questions, and I'm constantly going back saying you didn't give me enough information. You know, so I don't know what your goals are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, the other thing is, it's funny because I was involved in a lawsuit with uh, Warner Brothers. And I sued Warner Brothers and another production company. And in, the, in it, you know, we went through and we very clearly in our, in our, um, uh, in the, in the brief, in the, in the suit, explained that Bradley Cooper said this, Todd Phillips said this. You know, like we gave like six, six or seven different examples of them saying over and over and over and over on, on this date. He said this during this podcast or during this interview or during this TV show or during this um, press release. And we went, oh, I mean, there was just pages of examples. That's why I was wondering where that did they fill it full of examples of like Graham Stephan and uh, meet Kevin and all these guys stating, you know, this is a great stock or this is not stock, but this is a great, uh, you know, current cryptocurrency and blah, blah, blah. But you're saying they didn't. That seems yeah. very weak to me. So uh, the allegations about each of the nine creators are identical. It doesn't take long to read one of them. So I'm going to read one of them to you because it's I, if you just hear it read aloud, you're like, oh, it doesn't really say much. Um, the Let's see here. Let me uh, let me move past the. um now, this is actually a paragraph about the plaintiffs, not about the creators, but it's the only part of the lawsuit, as I read it, that actually explains what the creators supposedly did that's wrong. You ready? Yes. Uh, plaintiff Garrison purchased an unregistered security from FTX in the form of a YBA, which is a yield-bearing account, which I tend to agree with the plaintiffs that these yield-bearing accounts actually are unregistered securities. So I'll concede that and funded the account with sufficient amount of crypto assets to earn interest on his holdings, that's fine. If you're telling me you bought a YBA and you put money in it, or you know, crypto money, fine. Okay, listen to this. Plaintiff Garrison did so after being exposed to some or all of the defendant's misrepresentations and omissions regarding the FTX platform as detailed in the complaint. Now, pause for a second. What's detailed in the complaint is that FTX is a scam, okay? But we all know that now. Like right. Everyone knows that after November 11th or 12th or whatever. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I, and executed trades on the platform in reliance on those misrepresentations and omissions. As a result, plaintiff Garrison has sustained damages and defendants are liable. So this is, this is paragraph 13 in the lawsuit on page five. If your viewers want to read it, they should, uh, paragraphs, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 are all exactly the same talking about, uh, other plaintiffs. Okay. Here's what's so like legally indefensible about what they said. And I was trying to think about a metaphor that I thought that someone like you would appreciate. Okay. All right. Um, you're at home right now recording. You're not at a studio, but let's say later today, um, like me, you're going to go to the gym. Okay. And on the gym, on the way to the gym, on the road, it's, um, it's five, five miles away. Okay. From, from where you are right now. Um, you're going to pass a, a cop who's pulled over and um, the, the cop, uh, instead of like keeping you safe and um, keeping you on the road, moons you, okay? Well, you keep driving. And then like three, 300 yards later, another cop moons you, okay? Okay. Nine more cops moon you. And at that point you wreck your car because you're distracted. Okay. That's what this lawsuit is. He's saying he watched all these creators, all of them, and after he had seen every little bit, 
Then he wrecked his car. Then he bought FTX and it was a scam. Well, it's not the first creator's fault. It clearly wasn't enough to motivate him to buy the FTX product if it took him exposure to eight more creators in order to do it. And if it was enough influence from the first person to buy the stock, then the, the other eight people aren't at fault because he was already doing it. But the these incredibly vague allegations are that each plaintiff, this is so insane, each plaintiff watched every single creator and only then, and after watching all of those, bought FTX. Um, a horrible example, by the way, the mooning thing. I no, hear you. But it's perfect. Perfect for you. You would be distracted by that. You'd be like, I hate cops. What are they doing? Don't show me your butt. Yeah, but they're not, they're, not, they're not telling me to do anything. They're distracting you from what you should be doing. What's a, what's a cop's mission? It's on the side of every patrol car. Uh, to protect and serve. Thank you very much, okay? And if they're mooning you, they're not protecting or serving you, right? Okay. Well, these, these, inter, these uh, influencers' job is supposedly like to financially protect and serve you. But instead... They just distracted you. They showed you their butt and you did something stupid. Well, I feel like that Colby's going to pull the butt story off and he's <laughs> going to use that as like our little prologue. Because he's a smart guy. But that is actually what this is like. This is like cops mooning people on the way to the gym. Like if, it, if, if, if one plaintiff sued one creator and said, you got me. I watched all six of your videos about FTX and then I, I, I pulled the trigger. I would be like, well, that could be reliance. That could be reliance. But to sue multiple people by the only logical inference that a judge will ever make about this, and this will never see a jury, this will get dismissed. The only logical inference that a judge could ever make is that one creator was not enough. Two creators were not enough. Well, you have to prove 51%, right? To win your case, you've got to prove more likely than not. Right. If you sued nine creators, is each one of them liable for 6% of your, um, your bad financial decision? Well, each creator has to be liable for 51%. So it, it, it's like so stupidly flawed that I can't believe it. And I'm sorry, I'm, I gotta keep going because the other thing that they point out <clears throat> is that famous people like Tom Brady promoted FTX. Guess, you know who Tom Brady influences? YouTube yeah. creators. He influences everyone except the, the his opponents on the football field, except I think they would probably do what he said too. He seems like a likable guy, except for his, you know, recent divorce. Yeah, really? I don't I don't get the, the it's, it's it's look to me. The Tom Brady thing doesn't make sense at all because Tom Brady, like I wouldn't take advice from Tom Brady on financial advice because why would I? That, okay, right. But Mr. Garrison and Podolsky and all the other plaintiffs, what they're saying is eh, I'm not so bright and I'll follow the advice of anybody. But here's what just drives me crazy about this lawsuit. In paragraph 65, they say, hey, FTX bought the naming rights to the Miami Heat Arena. Okay, you and I, Matt, we're uh, financially, we're not sophisticated. We don't have all the degrees and giving financial advice. But if a company can afford to buy the naming rights of the Heat, and if the Heat are willing to partner with them in a naming agreement, that so legitimizes them. They are the opposite of the crypto startup that you were like, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to do this. Right. Like, like <clears throat> it. the lawsuit goes to painstaking detail about how FTX was defrauding everyone. You know what? These YouTubers are going to be, be able to make a very, very credible case that yes, I too was defrauded. You know why? Because on YouTube, I give financial advice. But in real life, I get financial advice. Like, I hire experts to tell me what to do. And I, I don't ever do what someone on YouTube tells me to do, except to smash the like button and hit the subscribe button and all that other stuff, right? Right. So you think it's going to be, you're thinking 
um, that the lawsuit's going to be thrown out? There is a um, procedural mechanism where when you serve a lawsuit, the, the responding party has 21 days to answer or file a motion to dismiss. And when you answer, you typically say, you know, there's 10 paragraphs and you admit, admit, deny this one, admit this one, deny this one, admit this one, whatever. Right. And then you can raise affirmative defenses like, you know, uh, all this is true, but he didn't lose money or like whatever your affirmative defenses are. Right. Um, or you can file a motion to dismiss saying, even if everything in the lawsuit were true, um, I, I still wouldn't have to pay because this doesn't actually state a claim. And that's where we're at on this one, because you have to prove that you relied on the statements of each defendant on their own. You, like you have to get there for each one. You can't just put them all in a basket and say, well, here's all the influencers that I relied on in this basket, judge. Let's enter a judgment against all of them. You, this is a this is dumb. It's like straight up dumb. It only works if you are like a conspiracy theorist and you think all these influencers got together and they're like, hey guys, uh, FTX is a fraud, right? Yeah, we all agree. Okay, but we're all gonna take their money and promote them together. And I won't do it unless you do it. And if you do it, I'll do it. And we're all in. Like there has to be like a secret meeting, a, a secret meeting of the YouTube Financial Advice Council for this lawsuit to be valid. It's so dumb. So dumb. Well, so I have a question. The, the attorneys that filed it, you don't think that they've, they've thought about that? Or do you think this is kind of like a nuisance suit where they're just hoping these guys say, look, we'll give you $100,000. Each one of us will throw it in a pot. And, and that's it. These lawyers are legitimate lawyers. They know exactly what they're doing. They have. What are they doing? They, I, <laughs> they, um, they, there's four law firms and they. Um, they make their money by filing class actions. So they know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. Okay. I, I'll tell you this. Um, when you are big on YouTube, you buy creator insurance, right? I mean, that's what they tell me. Yeah. Okay. All right. When so, I Listen, when I get there, I'll <laughs> let you know. Yeah, yeah. Please, please call. get me back on your channel when you've made it. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, what's probably happening to me when I get the lawsuit is I'm just going to call you. We're going to talk about it over the course of. Uh, and I'll be like, man, I'm a YouTuber. What do I even know? The thing is, my channel's so small. Everyone is going to be like, wow, that guy must be a really good lawyer. Yeah. But he's, he's not making any money on YouTube. But they they know what they're doing. They have a reason. And if it's that the they think that each guy has a million dollar liability policy and rather than the hassle and expense of defending, they can they can pop $10 million out of this fund of people, set something up for their named plaintiffs, get the law firm some money, and then move on down the road. Maybe that's a strategy. If they think that they have um, properly alleged reliance, I don't know how they could have passed the LSAT or the bar exam because it's it's not there. It's it's like categorically not there. You could do it. Now, I'm not saying it would be true, but you could have one guy, Edwin Garrison, sue one guy, Kevin Pat, uh, meet Kevin, I can't say his last name, and say, I relied on your statements. Fine, that's a credible claim. But for six guys i actually don't know how many plaintiffs there are but let, let's see um let's say there's six plaintiffs to sue these nine creators it it defies like it doesn't work you can't say each one of these guys relied on each one of these creators and that each creator was culpable legally culpable and if that's kevin meet kevin's uh take in his handheld video on coffee's channel I got to say, I totally agree with him. And it's not because he seems like a nice guy, although he does seem like a nice guy. I think his his lawyer, I hope his lawyer has already told him, um, I could win this lawsuit drunk. Um, I, there's no way that we can lose this because I don't think there's any way they can possibly lose. Okay. Yeah. Now, there are other problems also. 
Okay. Which Let's is they've, they've sued these people in Florida because FTX is headquartered in Florida. That's fine. You know who you know who they didn't sue? FTX. They didn't sue FTX. That's who you would sue in Florida. Um they well, I don't remember where all these creators live, but I do remember that it says that Graham Stephan lives in Vegas. Okay. Edwin Garrison, the name plaintiff, he lives in Oklahoma. What what are we doing in Florida? Well, you I mean, the law firm doesn't want to have to go all the way to Oklahoma. We want to make these guys come to Florida. So there, there is a real problem with something called personal jurisdiction over Graham Stephan in Florida, not only for the Edwin Garrison case, but for Garrison is purporting to sue on behalf of a class, a nationwide class, or maybe it's just a statewide class in Florida. Why, you think they should have filed in federal court? No, they did file in federal court, but like Graham Stephan hasn't been to Florida in connection with this case, or if he has, they didn't allege it. How how is he personally liable in Florida? How can he answer to a Florida court for a video that he filmed in Vegas? He can't. Yeah, but he released it globally. <laughs> it's YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court, um, not in a YouTube-related case, but in a case regarding a class action, has said, no, if you want to sue a defendant, you have to go to where the defendant is to get a big class, okay? And they've said that you don't have personal jurisdiction over that defendant for people who aren't in the place where you've sued. Well, okay. he's not there. So if he sued him individually, he could sue him in Florida. If Arguably, these guys, if these guys were in Florida, the, the, the victims are in Florida and they want to sue Graham Stephan, they, because they're in Florida, they can sue in Florida. Probably, but they still have an uphill battle because there's nothing in the lawsuit about Graham Stephan going to Florida. But also, Garrison's not from Florida, the lead plaintiff. So what, it, they found a statute that's in a state where FTX is. But the whole thing, the whole lawsuit is premised on these promoters being something called an agent for FTX. Now, you know this. You're going to say, but Josh, I'm not a financial expert or whatever. That's fine. You you know how um, every couple years someone comes to your door and knock, knock, and it's just like some sweaty, nicely dressed dude from either um, – uh, Edward Jones or um, what are some of the other investment houses? But they like they're just cold calling on you, and they want they want to, you to invest with them. Have you has this does this happen to you? Uh, they're usually trying to sell uh, you know surveillance cameras or sprinkler systems or something. But yeah, I have them. Okay, those people those are agents. Okay, when you are employed by someone and you reach out to the public to try to make a sale. You're an agent. The, the idea that the a type of agency at issue in the statute under which they've sued is for the spokespeople is absurd. It's completely laughable. You know who they ought to sue? These guys, they ought to sue Apple because according to the stats, 55% of the people who watch these videos watch them on their iPhone. Right? Oh, well, so Apple is now an agent for FTX. I mean, come I, on. It's a leap. It is a terrible, terrible leap. Okay. So I've got, I've got personal jurisdiction problems. I've got problems with the definition of the statute. And I've got pleading problems that they, they don't allege that each, def each defendant is legally culpable on his or her, no, they're all, no, there is one her, on his or her own. Without that, they're just not going to win. It's, it's ridiculous. Wait, what's happening? Okay, so we had to check the camera. Yeah, she just re restarted it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, just a they bad lawsuit. They cut their own legs out because the, the whole thrust of the lawsuit for literally dozens of paragraphs is about what a scam FTX is and how the world found out it was a scam. Well, yeah, but 
They found these guys found out the same time. Yes, I agree. So, like, it doesn't actually it it doesn't actually help them to say that FTX was a scam. Now they have this very narrow thing that they're saying that um, FTX sold uh, yield bearing accounts, and that's an unregistered security, and that's that's illegal. That's that's fine. The fact that FTX, the, I, I agree with the plaintiffs. That was illegal. Go sue FTX. These people aren't agents. They're they're spokespeople. It it's so silly. They should sue NBC because Tom Brady's ads for FTX ran on NBC. Okay, this. Um... I don't know. I feel like, but so you, I, here's the thing you're saying the law, you just, so why would the lawsuit file this then? Um, it's, it, why would the lawsuit, why would the law firm file this? What did I just say? Why would the law firm file this? Did I say the right thing? Yeah. I, who cares? Everyone knows what you meant. Okay. Do you not have an editor? No one cares what you and actually I'm like, say. And I'm likable. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I don't want to impute. Uh, bad motives to any lawyer, ex- unless they have a case against me or my clients, whatever, then I do impute bad motives to them. Um, they they don't see this the way that I do. But guess what? I don't make money whether this lawsuit wins or loses. I'm just going to call it like I see it. This is this is a hot garbage right here, a dumpster fire. Okay, so do you think it's possible that I mean, to me, with, with a lawsuit like this, then typically a, lo- a lot of times the, the lawyers actually have skin in the game because they're saying, look, we'll get a piece of whatever we recover. But you're, is it possible that these guys got together on some forum and said, hey, I lost money on FTX. Hey, there's six of us here. Let's get together and let's sue. They went to the law firm. Law firm said, I don't think you have much of a case. And they said, look, we'll each give you whatever, $10,000 a piece if you guys will just file a lawsuit. And they said, look, we're... We can put something together. Uh, like, um, you know that old adage, don't throw good money after bad? Well, we're throwing that adage out and we're throwing good money after bad because we lost money on FTX and now we want to pay you money so we can lose money on an FTX lawsuit. Right. It, that is a possibility, but the type of work that these lawyers are doing is typically done uh, where on a contingency basis where you only get paid if you win. No. It's possible that that is not what happened here and that your version of it is is possible that they that, that the plaintiffs got together and they said, hey, let's create a fund of $100,000 and hire the best class action lawyers in Florida that we can to file this lawsuit. And guess what? They probably actually have. These are these are legitimate law firms. They they make money and they make a lot of money for themselves and their clients filing class action lawsuits. This lawsuit is deeply, deeply flawed. It, exactly. I know that if someone pitched this lawsuit to me and said, will you file this? I would say no, because I would be afraid that I would get sanctioned. Because okay. lawyers just can't make stuff up and we can't file something knowing, knowing that we're not making a legally credible argument not a factually credible one because oftentimes you file a lawsuit based on um i don't want to say a hunch but based on a um uh, a just and reasonable inference from the facts that you have that facts that you don't know are likely true totally legit file that lawsuit happens every day i believe in those lawsuits you infer you make reasonable inferences from the facts that you have but the lawsuit is framed in such a way that uh, meet Kevin. He he's not he's not said to be fifty one percent liable here. He he is said to be part of a soup of nine creators, and that soup is at least fifty one percent liable. Down vote, down vote, down vote, down vote. If this lawsuit survives the motion to dismiss, and oh, like I don't defend companies. I, I represent individual humans, okay? That's all I do is I just stand up for the little guy. If somehow I got raked into this and I was defending these lawyers, I would be so, so, so excited to get the watch history off of YouTube for each of these 
six plaintiffs because they they're saying in a pleading that their their swearing is true by virtue of the fact that their lawyer is signing it. They're saying in a pleading that they watched meet Kevin's videos and that they watched these other guys' videos. Now the the defendants' lawyers, the creators' lawyers are going to be able to put together a timeline of every FTX sponsored video that each of these nine creators hosted and the watch histories of each of these six um, plaintiffs, if there are six, it doesn't matter. And we're gonna be able to see when relative to that stream of information, these guys bought into FTX. And I'm telling you, I would be shocked if there was any sort of factual, grounded in reality nexus between each plaintiff and all nine creators. I, I, you know what's way more likely? What's way more likely is that these guys bought into FTX months and months and months before the creators said anything. And they now they have somebody to blame it on. That is right. And I, I'm telling you, I am. I would be worried if I were these plaintiffs that I'm going to be confronted in a deposition with my actual watch history because they they will have to give it over, right? And my FTX transaction history because oh man, oh man, I better not have bought some FTX prior to having viewed these videos. And e but even if it even if it falls exactly the way they're saying, you're saying it, you you feel like it still doesn't make these guys liable. Yeah, and so let's say I represent. Um, do you know who Tom Nash is? Um, I no, but I I think he's one of the. I I isn't he the one guy that Coffeezilla said probably shouldn't be a part of the lawsuit? Oh, okay. Oh, then I don't want to pick him. Oh, actually, he he's a great guy to pick. I'm Tom Nash's lawyer. Okay. Okay. The very first thing I'm doing is filing a motion to sever myself from this lawsuit because I don't know any of these other defendants and I didn't work with any of these other defendants and the facts about whether Edwin Garrison relied on my statements are totally independent of the facts relating to whether he relied on someone else's statements. Right. Well, you know, a lot of these guys do know each other. Well, they know each other. Did they work together on their FTX sponsorship? Well, no, no, I seriously doubt that. But I'm, I'm just saying in general, some of them do know each other. Yeah. Like you could allege a conspiracy, but I, you're right. Look, you got to figure out when did they meet? When did this happen? What was discussed? Who's saying this? We need somebody. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. Did he? So all the all the big name financial advisor YouTubers know each other. Um, do all do all of the. Ex-con, ex-con YouTubers know each other? Like A lot you, of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not, it, listen, this is not a huge, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a niche, um, you know, genre. So it's, yeah. it's, you know, I do tend to find out that a, we do cross each other's paths a lot. Um, and I can imagine like the, there's, there's not a lot of channels exactly like mine, but there are a lot of what they call prison channels. Yeah. You know, I call mine like a true crime channel because I'm really just call telling crime stories and I try and stay away from anything related really to prison directly. Yeah. There's a lot of prison channels and tons of those guys definitely know each other. And have you have you had a prison YouTuber, a prison channel YouTuber on your channel? Yes. Okay. And did you did you like offer him compensation in terms of like cigarettes or something like that? I offered him nothing. I offer everybody nothing. You know, so like not even a pack of cigarettes to come on? You get nothing. Okay. No cigarettes, I, no soup, no stamps. I got nothing to come on your channel, but I assumed that was because I was working on a contingency basis. And if we won the video, then I would get a third of it or whatever. I would, <laughs> would love to be in the room when the depositions of the plaintiffs are taken, if this doesn't get dismissed so that the, they can be examined on the timeline of when they bought FTX relative to when they watched each of these creators. The lawyers were smart. They were smart. They didn't say 
that Edwin Garrison watched each of these creators. He said that he watched some or all of them. Right. Okay? Well, they, they have the wiggle room. Yeah. He hasn't sued some or all of them. He sued mm-hmm. all of them. Right. And I'm telling you, a judge is going to be like, what? No, 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 no. You can't do that. I, so, I don't, I don't like their chances. It's funny. I, so I, um, there was a movie there called uh, War Dogs. Okay. Um, with uh, Jonah Hill was in it. and uh, Oh, he's so funny. Yeah. Well, he played a guy named Ephraim Devaroli. Um, and I was locked up with Ephraim Devaroli. And I wrote Ephraim Devaroli's, uh, his memoir. Does this have to do with the Warner Brothers lawsuit? It does. Okay. Lucky guess. So Devaroli got out and sued Warner Brothers. Now... When I was locked up in prison, he and his literary agent came up with this scheme saying, look, if we if if you publish, if you publish a a book like a memoir, a true crime memoir. When you get out. We can circulate the memoir and if it gets into the uh, that Hollywood circle, we can allege that Warner Brothers used that to write the movie. And we can sue them for theft of intellectual property. Now, in there, it turns out that Devaroli had a cousin that actually knew a guy that was in that circle. He was actually the vice president of Warner Brothers' son. And through somebody else, they got to him and he got a hold of the manuscript. So they had a direct link to Warner Brothers. Like, we gave the manuscript to this guy. He signed an NDA. He's the son of Warner Brothers president. We didn't know that. They did know it. What's so funny about that is during the course of the lawsuit, at one point, they were going with to Warner, but they were having a mediation, right? They're going to mediate because Warner Brothers is ready to settle. And the day before the mediation, I filed my lawsuit. And in my lawsuit, of course, I state, I was at the discussion when they talked about suing Warner Brothers. I was at the discussion when they talked about um, his his uh, his cousin. I was at the discussion, you know, and that it was all a scam from the very beginning to sue Warner Brothers. And that's why they asked me to sign to write the book. Now. um, And so immediately Warner Brothers cancels that they cancel it. Then there was another meeting. Well, I'm sorry, not another meeting. What happens? They canceled it and almost within a few days maybe a week or two, their lawyer drops them. (laughs) They have to go get another lawyer. So I always thought I would have loved to have been in the room when, when um, Devaroli had to explain to his attorney. Cause I was like, look, I was in the visitation room with Ross Reback. Ross Reback actually came to Ross Reback was the, the name of the literary agent who was Devaroli's literary agent. He was also mine. So that day, he came to see me. Devaroli's family came to see him, and we all sat together in the visitation room, and it's on on a camera. So his lawyer had to go to him and say, is this true that on this date and this date, and there were were multiple dates where we did the same thing, right? And so so that we could all be in the same meeting together. So, because, you know, you can't just go have, nobody can, they, they have to be approved to come see you. Yeah. So I remember thinking, how hilarious was it when Devaroli had to say, yes, there is a log that says we were all there. Yes, there's video that says we were all there. Yes, Matt is a published author. Yes, Matt wrote the book. Yes, Matt. And his lawyer said, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. So I got that law law firm to fire Devaroli. Yeah. Then parts of the manuscript had been pilfered from another book. That you part of your manuscript that I'd written for him because Devaroli in the in in the middle of writing the the book left. He got transferred. Oh. So I'm like, there's the only way for me to finish this book is to, you know, embellish or fabricate scenes. And I told my literary agent this. And he said, do it. We'll we'll say it's based on Devaroli's story. He didn't say that though. What he said was when it came out, it said the true story over and over again. So his second lawyer, they they change the whole lawsuit. They refile it against, they alter it and file uh, against um, Devaroli. 
and what happened, I'm sorry, against Warner Brothers. So this time in the, when my respond, I explain, and they're saying we have the real law lawsuit. There's this, their movie is, or we have the real story. Their movie's fabricated and they pulled from our stuff and this, and then we go back and forth. So I then tell them, look, I tell his lawyer, I send it directly to his lawyer and say, by the way, you're now alleging that that book is 100% true. And they use those stories to make the movie. I said, that's not true. And, and you're said, the one person that knows they're not true. Cause it's, yeah, cause I pulled it. I wrote the story and I pulled it from my book. So I sent that to his lawyer a week later. He, <laughs> he drops, he drops the whole thing says, yeah, I'm done. I can't be a part of this. You guys are running a scam. They have to go get another lawyer. No, <laughs> so I've got two law firms to fire him. So when you, when I was asking about the lawyer, like who's the lawyer? Cause I was thinking this guy was hiring lawyers in Miami and Tampa and anyway. Um, yeah. Two, two law firms in Tampa. So anyway, so I was just thinking, yeah, I always wanted to be in the room when he had to sit there and say, yes, that's true. They're, okay. Well, you just lied to me. And no, I filed the lawsuit. I didn't lie. I totally forgot that happened. I'm so sorry. I, I is that a big deal? I totally forgot that happened. I'm I didn't know. Walked away. Yeah. They were like, yeah, we're done. We're done. When I when I got out of law school, I was gonna start my own law practice. I bought a book. It was actually like written in the 70s and then updated. I probably had the sixth or eighth generation of it. It was called How to Start and Build a Solo Law Practice. Something like that. Absolutely great book. If anyone is going to open a law practice. I'm sure there's like a very current version of it, not the 1999 version that I had back in the day. Right. Uh, but one of the things it said is uh, there was a principle of um, don't ever be the second lawyer. Meaning if, if a, some other lawyer saw fit to dump a client, there's a reason for that. Trust that lawyer's judgment. Yeah. And so like they, your guy, Deveroli, he was able to get a second lawyer and a third lawyer. Like, mm. yeah, I'm sure, and every time it altered, the story yeah. altered. So, I have a theory that, in general, and this is like a, a rule, and there are certainly it, the rule gets violated, but in general, people tend to find a lawyer that's a good fit for them. If you are a, a like a table pounding knucklehead who just wants to bully people you you can go find a table pounding knucklehead that wants to bully people yeah. if you are um if you're like me where like you actually care about the truth and you really just want a good deal that works well for everyone and it's like tied to reality yeah, you'll end up finding somebody like me and and so if you're like uh, let's say a fraudster you can tend to find a like a Saul Goodman type lawyer like I feel like that's ultimately what he got. Yeah, so. there's it's like a there's like a tender out there for lawyers and you can find the one that's a good match for you. All right. Well, I I'm good. Are we okay. are you good? I'm good. And then um, you you blocked off at about what did you block off an hour? Uh hour 15. We just knew that you needed to be done by 10. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, okay, let me wrap this up. Well, I mean, you, um, thank you. Um, Colby will send you this. Yeah, fantastic. I, I just want to say it's yes. an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I understand why your subscribers and your viewers like your channel. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a sharp guy. You've had experiences that a lot of us haven't had, and it's a pleasure to be on your channel. I would like to say if you ever end up back in prison, I'd probably be one of your subscribers that actually comes to visit you there. If I yeah, could get approved. I, I, I don't know how to, how to, I don't know what to say to that. I know you meant it. Well. <laughs> um, but thank you very much. I always like, listen, I always like, I always love having you on. Um, how is your channel doing by the way? How are, are the, so are you... the average views on, each video is going up slowly. I got hot in December and that kind of cooled off in January and it's still still cool. But we're making good content and yeah. we're learning. And we're well, the main thing is we're getting faster at getting stuff out um, that's relevant. Right. And, um, and that's important because a lot of the legal topics 
uh, they're kind of, you know, it's a stream. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They float by. Um, but I'm still really enjoying it and adding subscribers and uh, viewers and happy to be doing it. All right, cool, cool. Yeah. All right, um, I'll put the, the description. I'll put the, um, the link to your uh, channel in the description box. And yeah. I do appreciate you coming on. Pleasure, man. All right. I feel like we've... Uh, can I say a little bit more? Because I, I, I have more to say about this. Okay? Absolutely. Okay. Um, wait, whoa. They got to cut this part out. I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about how my coffee is not uh, warm enough right now. Um, wait, what? Seriously, what was the thing I was going to say? Give me the, they, you better edit this out. You better edit this out. It's, it's really early where I am. It's really, yo, shut up. No, you won't. No, you won't. I gave credible legal analysis in this video and you're going to start with me having a brain fart. You know what? Um, I think I hope, I hope no one watches this video. If you do that. I mean, you were to listen. Nobody watches my videos. <laughs> okay, fair. So, fair. Well, um, hey, this is Matt Cox, and I appreciate you guys checking out the video. Do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Share the video to your friends and family, and leave me a comment. Also, uh, I think I already said hit the like button. Um, also, I've wrote, when I was in prison, I wrote a bunch of true crime books. All of them are really good, believe it or not, and I have put together a compilation of trailers on those books. They're also on Audible. They're on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. And here are the trailers. Using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history, built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state and federal authorities, Cox narrowly, and quite luckily, avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare, while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the Housing Pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story, available now on Amazon and Audible. Bent is the story of John J. Boziak's phenomenal life of crime. Inked from head to toe, with an addiction to strippers and fast Cadillacs, Boziak was not your typical computer geek. He was, however, one of the most cunning scammers, counterfeiters, identity thieves, and escape artists alive, and a major thorn in the side of the U.S. Secret Service as they fought a war on cybercrime. With a savant-like ability to circumvent banking security and stay one step ahead of law enforcement, Boziak made millions of dollars in the international cyber underworld with the help of the Chinese and the Russians. Then, leaving nothing but a John Doe warrant and a cleaned-out bank account in his wake, he vanished. Boziak's stranger-than-fiction tale of ingenious scams and impossible escapes, of brazen run-ins with the law and secret desires to straighten out and settle down, makes his story a true crime con game that will keep you guessing. Bent, how a homeless teen became one of the cybercrime industry's most prolific counterfeiters. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Buried by the US government and ignored by the national media, this is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Service's funds, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. 
Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began work to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the US government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Pierre Rossini, in the 1990s, was a 20-something-year-old Los Angeles-based drug trafficker of ecstasy and ice. He and his associates drove luxury European supercars, lived in Beverly Hills penthouses, and dated Playboy models while dodging federal indictments. Then, two FBI officers with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force entered the picture. Dirty agents willing to fix cases and identify informants. Suddenly, two of Rossini's associates, confidential informants working with federal law enforcement, were murdered. Everyone pointed to Rossini. As his co-defendants prepared for trial, U.S. Attorney Robert Mueller sat down to debrief Rossini at Leavenworth Penitentiary, and another story emerged. A tale of FBI corruption and complicity in murder. You see, Pierre Rossini knew something that no one else knew truth, and Robert Mueller and the federal government have been covering it up to this very day. Devil Exposed, a twisted tale of drug trafficking, corruption, and murder in the City of Angels. Available on Amazon and Audible. Bailout is a psychological true crime thriller that pits a narcissistic conman against an egotistical pathological liar. Marcus Shrinker, the money manager who attempted to fake his own death during the 2008 financial crisis is about to be released from prison and he's ready to talk. He's ready to tell you the story no one's heard. Shrinker sits down with true crime writer Matthew B. Cox, a fellow inmate serving time for bank fraud. Shrinker lays out the details. The disgruntled clients who persecuted him for unanticipated market losses, the affair that ruined his marriage, and the treachery of his scorned wife the woman who framed him for securities fraud, leaving him no choice but to make a bogus distress call and plunge from his multi-million dollar private aircraft in the dead of night. The $11.1 million in life insurance, the missing $1.5 million in gold. The fact is, Shrinker wants you to think he's innocent. The problem is, Cox knows Shrinker's a pathological liar and his story's a fabrication. As Cox subtly coaxes, cajoles, and yes, cons Shrinker into revealing his deceptions, his stranger-than-fiction life of lies slowly unravels. This is the story Shrinker didn't want you to know. Bailout, The Life and Lies of Marcus Shrinker. Available now on Barnes & Noble, Etsy, and Audible. Matthew B. Cox is a con man, incarcerated in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for a variety of bank fraud-related scams. Despite not having a drug problem, Cox inexplicably ends up in the prison's Residential Drug Abuse Program, known as RDAP, a drug program in name only. RDAP is an invasive behavior modification therapy specifically designed to correct the cognitive thinking errors associated with criminal behavior. The program is a non-fiction dark comedy which chronicles Cox's side-splitting journey. This first-person account is a fascinating glimpse at the survivor-like atmosphere inside of the government-sponsored rehabilitation unit. While navigating the treachery of his backstabbing peers, Cox simultaneously manipulates prison policies and the bumbling staff every step of the way. The Program How a Con Man Survived the Federal Bureau of Prisons' Cult of RDAP Available now on Amazon and Audible. If you saw anything you like, links to all the books are in the description box.